0: Okay. Good morning. I am Sharon Schantz, and I've been attending Bethany for almost 46 years already. We have found this a great place to have raised our children, and now we get to watch our grandchildren grow up here. It's been a wonderful place where I've been able to use uh, the giftedness that God has given me and my passions. Two of my great passions that God has been growing in me is my love of music and my love of God's word. And I've been able to do both of those things here. The Bible for me has become a book that boldly and clearly reveals that who God is on every page. And I'm so excited to be able to speak to you today about what I have learned from the Gospel of Mark about Jesus, the teacher. My hope is that What we learn together will help us to confidently be able to answer the question, who do I say that Jesus is? And then secondly, and maybe more importantly, what difference does it make in how I live after I know and believe who Jesus is? Jesus asks his disciples a very similar question after he's been teaching them for quite a while and showing them who he is. In Mark 8, 28 to 30, we read, He replied to them, or he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say that you are one of the prophets. But then he asked them, who do you say I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah. Peter answers truthfully, but Jesus tells him not to tell anyone. And you might wonder why. Well, it's because the people and even the disciples themselves had a very different view of what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah. They didn't understand his mission at all. Mark 10:45 uh, tells us what Jesus says about his mission. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for others. Don't get hung up by Jesus' description of himself as the Son of Man. This was his favorite way to describe himself as Messiah. And as Messiah, he was truly fully human and fully God. Everyone thought and hoped that Jesus coming in power would save them from Rome. Jesus said his death would save them from an even greater slavery than Rome's sin. The Messiah was coming as a servant king and this was not at all what they were anticipating. He was supposed to be the king who was going to lead them to kill the Romans, not the king who was going to come to die himself. As well as confusion about Jesus' mission, there was growing animosity from the religious crowd. And by this, I mean the leading priests, the religious teachers of the law and the elders, also known as the scribes and the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a Jewish religious group that zealously followed all of the Old Testament laws as well as new traditions that they added. Actually, over 600 new traditions they added. It's interesting also to note that there's a Jewish political party called the Herodians. They were hoping to put someone from Herod's line onto the throne. The Pharisees and Herodians were generally at odds with each other. But when Jesus came on the scene, they joined forces together to plot how they could kill Jesus. All through Jesus' ministry, the religious crowd is getting more and more upset with his actions and his teachings. In Mark 1127 27 to 33, we see them hoping to trap Jesus into saying something, anything, for which they could accuse him. Again, they enter Jerusalem, we read, as Jesus was walking through the temple area the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law, and the elders came up to him and they demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right to do them? I'll tell you by what authority I do these things if you answer one question, Jesus replied. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? Answer me. They talked it over among themselves. If we say it's from heaven, he will ask why we didn't believe John. But do we dare say it was merely human? For they were afraid of what the people would do, because everyone believed that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. What Jesus meant by these things was what Pastor Andrew spoke about last weekend. It was just the day before Jesus had come into the temple court and overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Jesus was directly challenging the authority of the high priest because it was the high priest who allowed this to be happening in the temple courts. Jesus had been challenging their proud attitudes, their authority and their dishonorable motives from the beginning of his ministry. Here, they wanted to trap Jesus with a question that would show him to be a blasphemer or a fanatic, a lunatic. Instead, Jesus, as he often did, asked them a question about John the Baptist this time. Now the ball was back in their court. They had not stood up for John or tried to get him released from prison. In fact, they were as irritated by John the Baptist as they were irritated by Jesus. They weren't looking for truth. Always cloaked in self-interest and monetary gain, these religious leaders were only concerned about their position and their reputation. They couldn't prove he was a blasphemer or a lunatic, fanatic, and they certainly weren't about to say he was a messiah. Oh no, that would mean That they would have to give over control to the Lord Jesus Christ and give their allegiance to who Jesus said he was as the Messiah. There's an application here for us. If we reject Jesus' claims like they did, we have a greater problem than intellectual doubt. We're rebelling against Jesus' control and his authority over our lives. C.S. Lewis a great Christian apologist, and I'm sure you've read the Chronicles of Narnia, which he has written. He said this, a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and you can kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was so much more than that. And it boils down to us accepting his authority over us. Why do we have such a problem with authority? Maybe it's the S word, the O word, submission, obedience. All words that we in our culture of rights really struggle with. And as we've seen, it's not so very different from the culture in which Jesus lived. As we ponder who Jesus is, I'd like to take us back to the beginning of Mark's story about Jesus and look at the themes Mark highlights about Jesus' purpose in coming And his authority is shown by what he taught, but also by what he did. Mark is clear about what he wants to tell us about Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. This is the message of Mark. He wasn't one of the 12 disciples, so he would have gotten his information from his mentor, Peter, who spent a lot of time as a disciple walking closely with Jesus. And Mark wrote this gospel to encourage the believers in Rome who were suffering under Nero. And this would have been written to them after um, Jesus' death and resurrection when they would have gotten this gospel. The believers in Rome were teetering daily with having to choose between allegiance to Jesus Christ or doubt and denial and defection of their faith. It was important to Mark to prove beyond a doubt that Jesus was the Messiah. He presents a rapid succession of vivid pictures of Jesus in action, emphasizing his supernatural powers, his miracles, his divinity, and his personal encounters, more than his discourses and sermons, which we see in some of the other Gospels. One author has titled Mark, the Go Gospel, and Mark's favorite word is immediately. It occurs 40 times in these... Sixteen chapters. I, I like how the New American Standard translates the introduction. In verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And what is this gospel that Jesus brings? Jesus himself describes what he means in verse 15. As Mark records Jesus' first words. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. The word repent here means to reverse course or to turn away from something. In the Bible, it means to turn away from the things that Jesus hates and to turn to what Jesus loves. And this Greek word for good news is gospel or euangelion in the Greek. It combines angelion, the word meaning message, and the prefix eu, which means good. So, the gospel is news that is good. This word had currency in the days in which Mark used it. It meant to them history-making, life-shaping news, not just daily news. There is an ancient Roman inscription from about the same time that... This word was used for gospel and it states the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. And this is the story of the birth and coronation of the Roman emperor. A gospel then was news of some event and changed things in a meaningful way. It could be an ascension to the throne, could be a victory. When Greece was invaded by Persia and the Greeks won the battles of Marathon and Solnus, they sent heralds or evangelists, preachers, which is um, meaning the same, and they proclaimed the good news, the gospel to the cities. This is what their gospel was. We have fought for you, we have won. Now you are no longer slaves, you are free. A gospel is an announcement of something that has happened in history, something that has been done for you that changes your status forever. This thought is from Timothy Keller in his excellent book, Jesus, the King, understanding the life and death of the son of God. I love the clarity that Keller gives to the meaning of the gospel. He goes on to say, it shows so well how Jesus gospel is different from all other religions, including no religion. The essence of other religions is advice. Christianity is essentially news. Other religions say this is what you have to do in order to earn your way to God forever. This is how you have to live in order to earn your way to God. But the gospel says this has been done in history. This is how Jesus lived and died to earn the way to God for you. Christianity's gospel is completely different. It's joyful news. It's freeing, hopeful news. It's news that is ours by simply believing it. About eight months ago, we received some good news, news that made us very happy. This news was going to change our lives in a meaningful way because we were going to be grandparents again, as we had already experienced this joy 11 times before. So there was the initial announcement of the upcoming birth, then the news along the way of how things were progressing, and we could see how things were progressing as this little unborn one was growing and growing. Then came the days when we waited and waited to hear the good news of the birth. After having five daughters, we were ecstatic 14 years ago with the good news of our first grandson, Caleb. We now have been blessed with five healthy grandsons and seven healthy granddaughters. Yes, our last grandbaby was a girl, Audrey Sharon. And now the good news we wait for is, oh, I actually got two, three hour stretches of sleep last night. Well, news isn't always good news. On Monday, January 11th, we received the bad news that my mother and a very beloved grandmother and great grandmother and friend tested positive for COVID-19. Five days later on January 16th, her fight was over and we, we lost her. It was not the good news. It was not the news we wanted to hear. I, I need this message today. I need to know what hope there is in believing in Jesus. I need to be sure who Jesus is. I need to know what he has done for me. I need to know, is he a liar, a lunatic? Or is he actually the Messiah, the son of God? with incomprehensible power, one I can trust, one that can truly offer me the eternal life that he says he will. So when I choose to believe the gospel, I'm not choosing to follow advice. It's about me choosing to follow a king. Jesus the king is not just someone with the power and authority to tell me what needs to be done, not what I have to do it's not about me Jesus is someone with the power and authority to do what needs to be done and then he offers it to me as good news there is so much evidence in the Gospel of Mark about Jesus authority We see Jesus' authority and power right from that first chapter in Mark's gospel. At his baptism, there are supernatural signs as the Holy Spirit of God descends upon Jesus as a dove. And the voice of God, the Father, is audibly heard by the crowd. As God says, this is my dearly loved son in whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine being there and all of a sudden hearing this voice from heaven? Here is the Trinity announcing Jesus' divine authority. God is authenticating it. Jesus then immediately calls people to follow him. This was unique in Jewish tradition because usually a a pupil would choose a rabbi. But Jesus chose his followers. This shows that Jesus has a different type of authority than a regular rabbi. Simon and Andrew and James and John followed Jesus immediately without delay so his call itself has authority Jesus then goes to Capernaum where he speaks in the synagogue on the Sabbath remember now this is at the beginning of his ministry mark 1 22 says the people were amazed at his teaching for he taught with real authority quite unlike the teachers of the religious law mark here uses the term authority for the first time in his gospel The word literally means out of the original stuff. It's where we get the word, um, it's the same root as the word author. Mark means that Jesus taught about life with original rather than derived authority. He didn't just clarify something about what they already knew. He didn't simply interpret the scriptures in a way that the teachers of the law did. His listeners sensed that he was explaining the story of their lives As the author, and it left them dumbfounded. He spoke with mastery and a competency that their leaders didn't have. Then Mark takes the theme of authority to another level. Soon after this, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One sent from God. Jesus cut him short. Be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered. And at that the evil spirit screamed. He threw the man into a convulsion and then came out of him. Here Jesus shows his authority over the spiritual realm of evil. And did you see how the evil spirit knows that Jesus has been sent from God? He calls him the Holy One sent from God. The people who observed this were amazed and they kept debating among themselves. What what kind of new teaching is this? Even the evil spirits obey him. This is an authority we have never seen or heard of before. That same day, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law who is ill. This healing shows that Jesus also has authority over the physical realm, not just the spiritual realm. It's not just simply a claim of authority, but clear proof and exercise of his authority. A few days later, Jesus was about to do something that made the religious leaders even more upset with him, if they could be. They were back in Capernaum, and Jesus was in a house packed full of people who were listening to him preach and teach God's word. The house was so packed that when a group of four men came, bringing their paralyzed friend to Jesus, they had to lower him through a hole in the roof. This is such a great story. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, "'My child, your sins are forgiven.' But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, "'What's he saying? "'This is blasphemy. "'Only God can forgive sins.' Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? What's easier to say to the paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven or stand up, pick up your mat and walk. So I will prove to you that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. A huge class clash ensues with the religious leaders. They're shocked, they're angry, because they believe Jesus is blaspheming. He's showing contempt or irreverence toward God because he claims to do something only God can do. They think to themselves, who can forgive sins but God alone? And they are totally right. By forgiving this man, Jesus Christ is claiming to be God, not just a miracle worker, not just a healer, but the Lord, God of the universe. No wonder they're furious. It is an interesting question about what is easier to say, you are healed or you are forgiven. Jesus is ultimately saying that he is the Savior. Only the Savior of the world can say to a human being, all of your sins are forgiven. This man, just like us, has a deeper need than just being healed and Jesus starts to address this here in his ministry. We may think we want fame, wealth, health, success, recognition and God can give that all to us but he knows it's not enough to heal our discontent. There is a sin issue and only Jesus can deal with that. When the Bible talks about sin it's not just referring to the bad things we do. It's not just about lying or lust or whatever the case may be. It's ignoring God in the world he has made. It's rebelling against him by living without reference to him. It's saying, as good old Frank Sinatra told us in his song, I'll do it my way. Jesus says this is our our main problem. And what is his answer? We need a relationship with God. Almighty through Jesus Christ, as we believe the good news that Jesus heralds. We need to repent. We need to turn away and turn back to God. We need to believe the gospel. Jesus not only speaks the good news, he is the good news, the gospel. So Jesus has shown his authority over sickness. And in fact, the gospels in total record over 30 healings to show this authority In Mark, he he shows his authority over evil over and over by casting out demons many times in many places. He exercises his authority to forgive sins, as we've seen. He shows his authority over the physical realm as he calms the winds and the waves by just a rebuke. Silence, be still. At this uh, point, the disciples are there, and they're still asking, who is this man? Who is this? They also see Jesus multiplying bread and fishes for two crowds. He shows his authority over death in the raising of Jairus's daughter. Mark goes on to stack up layer upon layer of evidence to show that Jesus authority extends to every realm of life. The audience of the day is continually being amazed and astonished at Jesus wisdom and power. And those are two other words that are repeated over and over in Mark's gospel. Everyone is just amazed and astonished. They can't understand it. I'm not sure I can understand it. It's hard. Who of us can fully understand the immensity of who this God-man Jesus is? But we can respond to what we know. Jesus is saying to us, as well as those fishermen and tax collectors and others, come Follow me because I'm the king you've been looking for. Follow me because I have authority over everything. Jesus has brought us the gospel, the good news, the news, not advice. The the news that changes everything about our lives here as well as our eternity. So Jesus asks us, who do you say I am? If we say that he is the messiah our savior we have to think about why we are following him i like how timothy keller says it jesus says you see if you have me i will actually fulfill you and if you fail me i will always forgive you i'm the only savior who can do that but it is hard to figure that out many of us first start going to God, going to church because we have problems. And we're asking God to give us a little boost over the hump so that we can get back to saving ourselves, back to pursuing what we think is our deepest wish. The problem is that we're looking to something besides Jesus as savior. Almost always when we first go to Jesus saying, this is my greatest wish, his response is that we need to go a lot deeper than that. If Jesus is my God and King and Savior, what does it mean to me? My challenge for for you in the next coming weeks is to read the Gospel of Mark, just one chapter a day. Get yourself a notebook in which you can write down what you observe about what Jesus has said or something he's done. And then as you think about that truth, write down how it could impact your life in your actions in your attitudes and and write that down here's a bit of my list about my response to jesus life and how it impacts me it means that i will give my total allegiance to jesus i will submit my life to him i'll obey his words as i come to understand them it means i don't have to be afraid because jesus has authority and power over everything. He wants to hear my prayers and he will answer them. He desires to be in relationship with me. It means that he has sovereignty uh, over my life. Sovereignty, that's a big word. It just means total control, total sovereign as king. But it's not just over my life. He has sovereignty over the whole world. Nothing will catch him by surprise nothing has caught him by surprise his sovereignty over all of life means i have rest it means i can trust god because he is in control it means i have good news to share it's not about doing more it's not about being perfect it's about believing in god's provision for me through jesus christ and that is good news great news It means that all i need you have already done for me it means that jesus alone is the way the truth and the life i choose life i want to choose jesus the bad news of my mother's death as hard as it has been to get my head around is now softened by the hope of the eternal life that jesus offered to her but also to me because of his death and resurrection my mother is more alive today than she ever was and that same hope exists for each one of us who follow Jesus what will you choose the worship team will be sharing a song with us to respond to as together we praise God for what what he has done for us I invite you to think about who this Jesus is to you. If he is the son of God, the teacher like no other, the king with authority over all things, will you pledge your allegiance to him? Will you fall at his feet and invite him to be the king of your life? Will you choose Jesus? Let's pray. Father God, today we come before you acknowledging our need of you. For some of us, it means trusting more in the truth, the truth that we have come to know about you, letting go of our control and allowing you to work in us. For others who don't know you yet, it will mean thinking about making that choice to be all in as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father God, we ask you to move among us and in us through your Holy Spirit. You know us better than we even know ourselves. Help us to sense your love, your compassion drawing us to yourself. As we sing together, use these words as our expression of praise and allegiance to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Done.